Poso maoni work, my wan and kitan any more, a yoski pietaya, posnotaman, a yum, MITW podcast, a yospis pietaya, posnapi notaman, and a hisakimaka, a yoso matnamine hokihi. Welcome to the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. We are your hosts, Gary Dodge. And Sheena Wapus. On this episode, we are joined by Von Bowles. I'm going to stop saying guest at this point because yes. he's with us every week. I've made it to host <laughs> um, status. And, <laughs> and um, he is the public information officer for the Incident Command Center for the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin. And he is here as usual to answer some of our COVID-19 questions and give us a update. So um, we would like to remind people that we request that you send in your COVID-19 related questions to us at podcast at MITW.org. And that's an email address I forgot to say. <laughs> so Vaughn, um, can you just give us a recap on the press release that was just released like literally i don't know 10 minutes ago moments ago, ago yes yeah yeah so um <laughs> the incident command team and the chairwoman's office just released um a press release like we said um regarding some of the decisions that the tribe uh and the casino have made uh regarding operations so these are called uh executive or emergency orders these are emergency orders um emergency order two deals with the casino and this was the incident command team uh, advising them to close their board met and they decided they would follow that guideline um, and so effective 5 p.m uh, tonight july 31st until august uh, 11th the casino is going to close down their gaming operations um, as well as uh, the thunderbird gaming operations and they're also going to um, postpone or not do any of their their food services except for curbside um, there there won't be any bars open at either of those locations it'll be takeout food only or curbside um, and that'll remain in effect like we said until the 11th um, emergency order three deals with um, how we're going to conduct business at the tribal offices and uh, this requires oh sorry I probably should there's a, there's a list it's at uh, all of the establishments institutions businesses office stores and organizations um, operating on tribal land so not just the tribal offices I'm sorry this also extends to places like subway the war bonnet things like that um, and we're having those business um, providers uh, limit the number of individuals they allow into the facilities at one time uh, in order to keep everyone at least six feet apart and allow for some physical distancing um, we're asking that everyone over the age of five wear masks when they're in those public buildings and or businesses um, and that those masks cover the, you know their nose and go down to the chin um, so that full field of, of respiratory intake is, is covered and then um, temperature checks are going to be also instituted so you'll likely see things like the temperature kiosks at the, at the facilities or someone will have like a temperature gun anyone with a temperature over 100.4 degrees will you know be asked to turn around and leave and not enter the facility people have asked in the past you know what happens if you see someone without a mask well we've gotten to the point where 
this time it's going to be enforced um, violators will be fined up to five hundred dollars uh, in cases where they're they're not um, conducting themselves accordingly as been asked um, and this will take effect uh, five o'clock uh, tonight July 31st um, and this will be in effect either until the declaration of the state of emergency expires on the reservation or until our emergency management coordinator um, rescinds the order so those are those are the new things that take effect so if you're out and about on the reservation and you know aren't exercising or you're entering a building remember to wear your mask um, please be considerate of others if you have any symptoms you know that you know of before you go out please just stay home and, and wait until those uh, kind of resolve themselves mm -hmm. okay um, so as far as the um, temperature kiosk I had seen some people concerned because, well, this was at the casino, obviously the casino is closing now, but I guess maybe in the future or at these other businesses, there was some concern with how this is being enforced because they had seen somebody, like one example was somebody not taking their temperature, they just walked by it um, and nobody stopped them or, you know, they didn't, there was no issue for them. Right. And then the other example was somebody having like abnormal or whatever reading and they just continued into the business anyway. So okay. is there anything set in place for like enforcing the temperature kiosks? Enforcement, I believe, will fall to our police department at this time because it's an mm -hmm. emergency order. Um, mm -hmm. I can double check on that. We can get more information to the public and stuff um, coming up in the next couple of days just so we know. And we don't confuse anyone on, on how enforcement will take place and who will be in charge of that. Okay. Um, so this week we also had the, we saw the curfew come back. Um, and I had seen a couple of questions about that as well. Um, so can you explain why the curfew is now back? So the curfew was brought back, you know, to limit the amount of movement taking place on the reservation. Um, this, the community spread of COVID that we've had recently has, you know, doubled the number of, of total cases that we've had. Um, and it hasn't come from businesses and organizations. It's, it's been private parties. It's been private gatherings. And so the idea behind bringing the curfew back into action was to limit those as much as possible. And so households, you know, won't hopefully intermingle as much and, and potentially spread the disease. And so that's why they were thinking of bringing it back. Um, I, I saw that you guys mentioned earlier, why 10 PM? They figured, you know, that's it's late enough for most gatherings. Um, and if you're, if you're doing any sort of work, you have 16 hours between 6 AM when it starts and 10 PM. That's usually enough time to finish most types of jobs. Um, it's all the daylight hours. If you're, you know, someone that may work in the woods, um, you know, should give you plenty of time there. We also want to bring up, you know, if you do work in like a second or sh third shift and, you know, you, you work nights, um, you won't be stopped for, you know, driving home at night when it's, you know, 3 or 4 p.m. in the morning and that's your normal routine to go home then. So, you know, uh, Chief Nakuti has, has brought up that, you know, they're they're very aware of who is in in the community and, you know, those who work nights. Um, and so they're they're going to try to do their best to, you know, make sure the 
the curfew is, is one enforced, but also not restrictive or um, hassles anyone who, you know, would work one of those shifts. Um, and so they're just trying to prevent extra spread of the disease. So that's why it's, it's come back. Yeah, I, I asked the specifically 10 p.m. question because I've seen comments like, what is COVID come out at 10 or something? Like, why is, why 10 p.m.? Like the boogeyman. <laughs> okay, so that, that was a good explanation. Uh, thank um, you. So <laughs> uh, I think you did mention an age requirement on the mask. I can't remember if that was. Yeah, so the, the tribe has asked that anyone five or older wear a mask. Um, there are locations um, like the CDC has said that, you know, children as young as two could wear masks. Um, I attempted something like that with my son this week. It works for, you know, three or four minutes. Um, so that's why the tribe has said, you know, five-year-old children um, should be wearing masks. They can, you know, keep their hands down a little bit more and, and leave the mask in place. And so that's that's why that age requirement for the masks. Okay. And then... Um... I also had a question about the masks that have vents in them because I've seen some people wearing those types of masks and if they're safe or not. So it really depends on the type of mask and the type of vent. There are there are some masks that have one-way vents that close when you're inhaling and, you know, provides, say, like an N95 mask with a vent will provide N95 protection when you're inhaling. But then as you exhale, the vent opens up and all of your air just gets you know, expelled out through the vent hole. Um, that is a type of mask that sort of protects you, but not the community, which is the reason that they've been asking everyone to wear masks is so that we don't um, exhale germs or cough or sneeze germs onto others. And so those type of vent masks don't really help as much as um, some of the masks that have like a fixed vent hole um, where various types of filters are placed into it. Um, those are usually a more expensive mask. They can be reused, um, and those those can be very expensive in some cases. Um, they're still testing how effective some of those are because some are like carbon filters, um, some are static charge filters, um, some are just, you know, like three or four ply filters that are interchangeable. Um, and so they're, they're trying to find out what's the most effective type of, of fixed vent filter. Um, and so if you do have those masks, uh, look around, uh, do some research, see if those are going to be effective for you or not, see if they'll help protect those around you. Because um, right now it's a little up in the air. What are the demographics that are uh, most likely to contract COVID? So if you go to DHS's website, the Wisconsin DHS, um, they actually have some great graphics that show this. Um, right now, the demographic that has been contracting it the most or you've seen the most cases in is actually ages 20 to 29. Um, makes up 25% of all cases. That said, it's followed closely behind by the 30 to 39-year-olds, which make up 17% of the cases. Um, and then, you know, the 40-year-olds the uh, make up another 14%. So it's, it's seen the most in you know, young, young to middle-aged adults um, kind of makes sense. Those are the ones that are out and about the most. On the flip side of that, though, um, if you're looking at cases seen in the hospital, most frequently it's individuals that are 70 and over. So, you know, the younger people aren't having as severe 
of cases, but they also aren't the ones that are affected the most by it because they're young, their immune system works properly. Um, and so we're really worried about that older demographic who's affected a lot more because of the virus. So, um, yeah, it affects, it affects everyone fairly evenly, but, um, the young adults are the ones who contract it most frequently or, or at least have currently. Okay. And then another one was, um, what about pregnant women? Like what are the chances for pregnant women or even the babies, you know? So my wife asked me this a lot. Um, she always worries about pregnant women because she's very considerate that way. So pregnant women are considered an at-risk group um, for being immunocompromised. Um, their body's going through a lot, and so they have a tendency to get sick fairly easily. Um, that said, they still don't know if a pregnant woman who contracts COVID um, will pass it in utero to their baby. Um, and they also don't know if um, COVID will affect like the, the fetal growth and development of, of an infant or a fetus at this point. Um, they have speculations. They're only speculations right now. And they've, you know, doctors have, have clearly said that there needs to be significantly more research on, on what happens to um, a fetus or a baby uh, that, you know, comes into contact with COVID while in utero. Um, but yes, a pregnant mother is, should be considered someone that's at risk. How would COVID-19 affect drug users, or can you kind of speak on that? Yeah, so um, those that use drugs, whether they're legal or otherwise, are kind of at a higher risk, not kind of, they are at a higher risk of contracting the virus, um, and they also have more serious cases than someone that's the same age and same gender. Um, this is particularly true for individuals that smoke, whether it's tobacco or marijuana or something a little harder. Um, because they're all, their lungs are already challenged and trying to remove excess material um, that shouldn't be in there for material and whatnot. And so the body has a really difficult time also combating a viral load that, that attacks the lungs. And so um, drug use, it never helps you stay healthy. Um, and so I would say don't do drugs, kids. Yeah, don't do drugs. <laughs> Um, so this week there seems to be a lot of debate around uh, the drug hydroxychloroquine. Am I saying that right? Yes, yes, you're saying. <laughs> I practiced a, I practiced a little bit. So, um, can you talk about that and whether it's safe and or effective in treating COVID nineteen? Okay, this is going to get political. I don't want it to be political. We're going to talk science. Um, there have been multiple studies that have come out um, regarding the use of hydroxychloroquine and COVID-19. Some of them have been published in very reputable um, locations. There's a medical journal called The Lancet. Um, and some of those studies actually had to be retracted um, because the individuals that published it um, didn't follow proper protocol and their data was, was skewed. That said, there's also some good studies out there. Here's what we do know. Here's what I can tell you. Hydroxychloroquine is it's an analog, or it's derived from a material called quinine. Quinine is a derivative from various tree barks. I'm not sure what type of trees. I'm sorry about that. But it's, it's a natural um, compound that's been used for literally hundreds of years. There's records of quinine being used in the Revolutionary War. 
Um, it's, it's very safe. It's very effective. Um, it's used for a number of things. It's used for malaria um, in a lot of warmer climates. And the World Health Organization actually lists it as an essential medication for countries. Um, they consider it critical. Uh, and they also found that uh, COVID-19 has a, a similar method of action or the way that it infects your body is malaria. That said, what else do we know about hydroxychloroquine? It's been approved by the FDA for 65 years. It's not a new drug. Um, it's safe enough for pregnant women, for breastfeeding women, for the elderly, for children, and for individuals that are immunocompromised. Uh, here in the U.S., we mainly use it for individuals that have lupus or RA. Um, and it's, it has, it's kind of interesting, it has um, essentially zero risk in the short term for, for compromising your organs. Now, you may say, well, what's short term? Can I take it for two weeks? Can I take it for months? No, they consider short term use under five years. So it's something that's really stable. Um, it's not going to harm people when they take it. Um, some people and some of the, the journals said, well, it has, has the risk of prolonging your QT period. Well, what's a QT period? It's, it's actually the way your heart functions. There's a little cycle. You know, everyone's seen the pictures of the little up and down arrows and stuff that, that represents how your heart's beating on a heart monitor. Um, and uh, hydroxychloroquine can prolong the gap between one of those spikes. It's just called the QT. Um, but there's so little risk of that, doctors don't even screen for it. It's kind of like a side effect um, that commonly occurs like nausea. I mean, and it's not even that dangerous of a type of side effect. So what else do we know about it? It's so safe. It's an over-the-counter dr over drug in places like France and Mexico and Central America where they actually have malaria on a fairly regular basis. Um, they just want people to be able to use it. Um, the reason it's not over-the-counter in the United States is lupus and RA aren't that common, and we don't have a lot of malaria, so it just would sit on the shelf. And that's why it's not, you know, frequently at Walgreens or, and you know, your Walmart pharmacy. Um, there's just no demand for it. So, talking COVID now, um, if you look at some of the, the studies that came out, um, one of the things that China said when they were dealing with their outbreak back in February was that hydroxychloroquine should be used um, for treatment. Okay, you can take that with a grain of salt, whether you want to trust the Chinese government or not. They kind of have, you could say, a spotty track record on human rights and whatnot. Um, so there's that. Uh, you could also point to the fact that, you know, when a lot of people were stocking up on toilet paper, uh, about 30% of the doctors in the United States were stockpiling hydroxychloroquine instead of toilet paper. And they were asked by the American Medical Association not to do that so there wouldn't be a shortage for their patients. Okay, you can take that with a grain of salt too. It is what it is. So following President Trump's endorsement of hydroxychloroquine, that's when a lot of things kind of hit the fan as far as who was going to use it and not. Um, you know, it was moved, like France actually moved it from uh, an, you know, on-the-counter thing that you could pick up. They actually restricted it, so, you know, you would have to get a, a, a prescription for it. We don't know why. That's just what they chose to do. Um, 
But here's, here's some food for thought. COVID-19 is also known as SARS-CoV-2, which means there's also a SARS-CoV-1. And we saw that back in 2005. And Dr. Fauci actually published a paper on SARS-CoV-1 back in 2015, or 2005. They found that SARS-CoV-2 is actually 78% identical to SARS-CoV-1. And they said that hydroxychloroquine was a, a good candidate for prophylactically treating SARS-CoV-1. Now, does that mean it's going to work for SARS-CoV-2? Maybe. It's got a good chance is what they say. Um, but they, they want to do a little more research. Um, there are some studies out there that say symptoms can be um, reduced by two to three days for someone that's taking it. Um, they also say if it's, it's taken in conjunction with zinc or zithromax, which is a common antibiotic, um, it can clear up severe cases. Um, and I want to I wanna just say that's anecdotal from emergency room doctors that I've spoken with or um, conversed with and stuff during you know the, the entire term of the outbreak. Um, here's, here's something to think about, and I guess you could look at this as the takeaway. People say, why didn't we handle it as well as other countries? You can look at countries like India and Italy and Portugal or Nigeria, and they, they don't have nearly as much uh, COVID-19 floating around. They also have access to large amounts of hydroxychloroquine. I'm not a doctor. I can't prescribe this to you, and I can't tell you you should be taking this. It may be an effective drug. Um, whether or not we're allowed to use it, that remains to be seen. But that's what we know right now regarding hydroxychloroquine, and I hope there's no spin on it. It's just the facts that are out there. Well, I went in for listening to the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can also listen to the podcast on menominee-nsn.gov under the community tab. And you can keep up to date by following us on Facebook at MITW Podcasts. And we do weekly updates with Vaughn. And we welcome your community questions or topic suggestions that you have regarding COVID-19. So please send those into us via email at podcast.mitw.org.